Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. All right, the book of Daniel, and I titled this morning's service, or this morning's message, um, Navigating Conviction. And I don't know about you, but a lot of us, you know, we all have our convictions. It's what you, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, your faith in something, your, your belief about something, and, and it's a conviction that you have, uh, a boundary you have. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, and we're at a place, and maybe you are in your workplace. I know with the, with the vaccine, that's definitely a, uh, an issue where people are, you know, their convictions are being challenged. So how do you navigate that? And we're actually going to see that in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel's got a conviction, and he's going to be faced with a choice. What does he do with that conviction? How does he navigate it? And hopefully we can learn a little bit about that as we go through that. So Daniel chapter 1. Now let's talk about the man Daniel. Um, first of all, <clears throat> the man Daniel, uh, he descended probably, because we don't know that for a fact, but he probably descended from one of the noble families of Judah, kind of the cream of the crop, you might say. He was probably uh, born in Jerusalem during the reign of King Josiah. King Josiah was a, a godly king. Uh, his sons weren't too godly, but he was a godly king. And uh, anyways, uh, Daniel was probably born during his reign. Uh, he and his companions that we'll look at this morning were probably around 12 to 15 years old uh, when they were taken captive to Babylon. So when we're reading about Daniel and his convictions, man, I understand it. This is a young teenager. It's not a man, not an old man. He's a young teenager with these convictions. That really struck me as I was reading it. Um, he probably died uh, around 85 years old in Susa, which was the capital of the Persian Empire. And the reason why we say he probably was 85 when he died, we, again, that's not like we have a record that says Daniel died this year or so-and-so. But we know, based on chapter 10, that his last recorded vision was during the Babylonian captivity and, oh, excuse me, uh, that wasn't, scratch that. His last recorded vision was on the banks of the Tigris River, and it's in chapter 10, during the third year of Cyrus, which we know that to be 534 B.C. So, anyways. The story of Daniel occurs entirely during the Babylonian captivity and into a portion of the empire of the Medes and the Persians. So, as I was preparing, you know, I was talking with someone uh, on our vacation, actually, about, um, you know, teaching the word and stuff, and, and they were kind of asking me, you know, how I do it, and, and one of the things that I said is, you know, I always try to find the application. I mean, it's great to fill you with all kinds of knowledge and give you facts and figures. It's, it's good, you know, it's good to know, but what do you do with it? And that's always, that's always where I'm at when I'm reading the words, Lord, okay, I've read it, but now what am I supposed to do with it? And so what are we supposed to do with Daniel chapter 1? Well, one of the things that really struck me is that there's a lot of parallels to what is going on in the time of, of Daniel chapter 1, parallels to our day today. And we're going to take a look at those parallels. The very first thing that I think is a parallel to our day was that Daniel was a witness to his nation, the nation that God had blessed, falling. 
a fall. This is at the decline. These, the, this story that we're going to read this morning, it occurs during the waning days of the kingdom of Judah. In fact, Daniel was one of the, Daniel and, and some other young men were the first wave of captivities to go into Babylon. There would be two more deportations of Jewish people uh, over a course of, I don't know, I think something like 11 years or something like that, uh, by, by Nebuchadnezzar. This was the first wave of deportations. And by that time, Judah had already been made subject to the king of Egypt. Uh, he had already laid a tribute on, on, and he had appointed his king, uh, a king that he wanted to have on the throne there in Judah. So the nation was not the strong nation. You know, you read in the book of, like, you know, about Dan, uh, David, right? How the, that was the golden year of Israel as a nation. It's not like that now. Years and years of decline have occurred, and now the nation is at the verge of falling. And so Daniel was a witness as a young man, very much a parallel to our day. I don't know, you know, I don't want to sound unpatriotic, but I think we're at the tail end of the greatness of the United States. I think we're seeing the fall of a nation in our, in our day and age. And again, I'm, I'm the first one to want to wave a flag. I'm a veteran of the United States military, and, you know, I'm as patriotic as the next person. But I look at what's going on around, and I go, man, I, th I think our nation is, I think our nation is, it's no longer a superpower that it was. And so it's, it's a sad thing. So there is a parallel to what we're witnessing, parallel to what Daniel witnessed. Daniel also lived under wicked leaders that were ruling the nation. You think you got it bad now, boy, Daniel had the same situation. Jehoiakim was the king of Judah. He was one of the sons of Josiah. Josiah was a godly king, but again, his sons were not so godly. Well, Josiah was a king. In fact, he went to battle against the Egyptians, and he was killed in battle, and then the people <clears throat> excuse me, made his son Jehoahaz king over, you know, instead of, of Josiah. And uh, Jehoahaz reigned about three months. And then the king of Egypt came in there and deposed him and made Eliakim, who was another brother, another son of Josiah, brother of Jehoahaz, made him king of Israel uh, or king of Judah in his stead. And then he changed his name and Eliakim's name, it's Jehoiakim, it's the same person. So this person, Jehoiakim, had been placed in, in power by the king of Egypt. And he was 25 years old when he became king. The Bible says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. In Jeremiah 36, Jeremiah records that Jehoiakim burned the scroll of the Lord. It's like taking the Bible and burning the Bible. The scroll that God had given, told Jeremiah to write, Jehoiakim burned it. Didn't want to hear what was written in it. Also in Jeremiah 26, we find that Jehoiakim had Urijah the prophet, uh, one of the prophets of the Lord, put to death. Didn't want to hear what he had to say. So he was a wicked, wicked king. And Daniel was living during the reign of this wicked king. I don't think there's, I don't know, is there possibly a parallel to, <laughs> I don't know, maybe not. Maybe it's just me, I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand 
with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure of his God. The third year of his reign, we know that to be approximately, and I say approximately, 605 B.C., because when I was doing some research, I seen some that said it was 604 and some that 606. Uh, I saw 605. I thought, that's, I'm a middle-of-the-road kind of guy, so 605. Hey, what's a year or two when we're talking about 2,600 years ago, right? Okay, a year or two off. So around that time frame, about 605 B.C. I think, to be honest with you, I think it's just amazing that we can even pinpoint it that, that close to just being a couple of years. That's amazing to me. Well, anyways, Nebuchadnezzar had besieged Jerusalem, but then he had word that his father, and I'm going to pronounce his name probably bad, Nepopolassar, had died. And he was the king of, of the Babylonian Empire. And so Nebuchadnezzar rushed back to Babylon to kind of secure his throne when his father died. And uh, <clears throat> he, when he left, he took some of the choice young men of Jerusalem with him. And this is the group that Daniel and his, the, these, these other, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they all were deported with him. He also took some of the treasures of the house of God, we're told. And uh, anyways, so Jehoiakim is the king at this time, and he reigned for uh, a total of about 11 years in Jerusalem, and then he was finally carried off by Nebuchadnezzar out of Jerusalem in bronze fetters, and he died somewhere outside Jerusalem. There's a prophecy in Jeremiah 22:19 about him, and it occurred. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. And that's what happened to Jehoiakim. There's another parallel to our day. I said that Daniel witnessed the falling of a nation, but Daniel also witnessed God's judgment of his nation. Judah had been warned over and over and over again by God through all of his different prophets about if they did not repent of their sin, if they did not turn away from false gods, that he would judge their nation. And we've had, you know, we've, we've been warned over and over again as well. Jeremiah 32, and I, I wrote the, the reference here if you're taking notes, but I didn't write the verse I'm, verses because I want to just read it to you. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city, and he's speaking of Jerusalem, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans who fight against this city shall come and set fire to the city and burn it with the houses on whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done only evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. For this city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my fury from the day that they built it, even to this day. So I will remove it from before me, oh, excuse me, from before my face. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So God had warned that, he, this, that Nebuchadnezzar by name was going to conquer Jerusalem, was going to destroy Jerusalem. 
about a hundred years even prior to that prophecy, Isaiah prophesied about a hundred years prior to the captivity. Um, <clears throat> Hezekiah, another good godly king, was, was king of that time. And some envoys from Babylon came to visit Hezekiah, and he showed him all the things in his temple. He said, check out, i got to show you this stuff. Look at all this stuff. And, and they looked at it, and, and then they left. They went back to Babylon, and Isaiah, the Lord told Isaiah to go speak to Hezekiah. He said, hey, what were those guys here for? And, he, and you know, Hezekiah, or Hezekiah was sharing what, what uh, they were here. They were here to visit and stuff. And <coughs> excuse me. And uh, uh, and then, anyways, it comes out that Hezekiah had showed them all these things in the in the house of the Lord. And so the Isaiah said this. It's in Isaiah thirty nine verses five through seven. Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming, when all that is in your house. And what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your youths, excuse me, some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. This is exactly what's taking place. Daniel and some other youths are being taken out. And it wasn't like God said, well, this is going to happen, you know, eventually this is going to happen. It's because of their sin that this happened. God warned them. So uh, Daniel here witnessed God's judgment on his nation. I, I, I really think we're at the cusp of that ourselves as a nation. I, I hate to be Debbie Downer here, but I mean, that's, that's the way I see things. Verse 3, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand who had ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Now, one thing I just want to bring out, because, you know, I, 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 I've heard different sermons shared of this, and, and different people look at it different ways. I don't think there was anything sinister in what Nebuchadnezzar is doing here. His empire was expanding rapidly, and he needed people in place to kind of manage things. And so he, as he's going through, he's like, pick the cream of the crop, the, the, crop, the best of the best, and let's train them up and, you know, let's, let's have them actually minister within the empire. And so I think that's what is taking place here. Again, I don't think it's anything sinister that Nebuchadnezzar, we got to get these guys and, you know, change them. But as we'll see, as a product of what they're doing, there's some choices that Daniel and his companions are going to have to make. Verse 5, And the king appointed for them a provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. This, again, and this is my take, it's not brainwashing. They basically wanted to teach the language, as it says here, the language and the literature of the Chaldeans to prepare them for serving in the Babylonian Empire. The food that was going to be given to, to uh, Daniel and his king and his, and his companions, that was the best food that Babylon had to offer. 
Because if you think about it, I mean, this is the same stuff the king eats. He's not going to Chick-fil-A or, you know, uh, uh, White Castle for his meals. Man, he's getting steak and lobster and, you know, I mean, he's getting the good stuff. And so this food would have been, man, the best food that anyone could eat. Can you imagine if you were a young 12 to 15-year-old guy who's witnessed the, the fall of, or the falling, because it hasn't completely been destroyed yet, but you're, you're witnessing the downfall of the, of the nation of, Jer or the nation of Judah, but the city of Jerusalem. It had been besieged. You know what kings do when they besiege a, a, a city? They surround it, they cut off a water supply, they cut off any food going in, commerce going in and out, and they basically starve the people out. And then once the people are so weak, they go in and they, they capture it. Because nobody's going to put up a fight because they're just, they're skin and bones. And so if you can imagine, this is what Daniel is experiencing, him and his companions. You know, God had warned Jerusalem, warned the Israelites, that if you start disobeying me, I'm going to, the rain's not going to fall on your crops. You're going to have bad crops. You're not going to have bumper crops. And so they're going through that right now. So their crops are no longer blessed. Um, and it, even if it wasn't the Babylonian encampment, up leading up into this point, Egypt had already been putting a tribute on, on the land. And the, I'm sure they would have besieged Jerusalem as well. And not only that, but there was also marauders. God would allow the Philistines and other nations to come in and ransack whatever Israel had. So if you can imagine, as a young man, you're seeing, I mean, the best food that can be offered. What a temptation would that be? It'd be like, man, this is, what's, there's nothing bad about this, man. This is good. Verse 6. Sorry for the Sunday school picture, but that's the only thing I can find. <laughs> I, do you guys remember the flannel graphs? That reminds me of one of those flannel graphs. You put the little stick, you know, little things in Anyways, shows my age. Verse 6. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Now, the Babylonians were polytheists. So they just believed in many gods, not just one god. Um, they didn't have any problem with adding more gods to their list of gods that they worshipped. So Babylon wasn't like, okay, you worship God, you can't, you know, you got to worship, you know, our God. It's basically, hey, you can worship whatever God you want, but you're also going to worship these gods as well. They didn't have a problem with adding more deities to worship, but they did have a problem with the exclusive, exclusivity, if I pronounce that right, of monotheism. Because the Hebrews were monotheists. They believed in one true God. Judaism is based on Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They were only worship one God. And so this prevents, presents a problem for the polytheist. Because these people that are coming into their empire say you can only worship God. And they're like, no, you can worship other gods too, not just God. Do you see a parallel in our culture today? You know, people don't, they're not that upset that you're a Christian. That you say, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ. And go, oh, that, I'm glad that truth works for you, you know, and stuff like that. What they have a problem with is that what the Bible says, 
that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be saved but through faith in Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. That's what other people have a problem with when you say Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. That's where the, that's where the problem is. And so for the polytheists, for a Jewish person to say, we're only worship the one God, Jehovah, they have a problem with that. So renaming them, I think, is one of the ways of Babylon. And again, I don't think it's sinister, but it was a way to acclimate these guys to Babylonian culture and religion. And so what are the names? We have the name of Daniel. The name of Daniel means God is my judge. His name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, which is another word for the, one of the Babylonian lords. Protect him. Uh, or his life. And the word bell is it's referred to Lord there, but what they're referring to is Marduk, which was one of the Babylonian gods. So that's Daniel's name. God is my judge, and now it's changed to Belteshazzar. Bell, protect him. Uh, Hananiah, that name means the Lord is gracious. I, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I have that, just that understanding. God is so gracious. We were driving across, uh, we, were, we were leaving on our vacation, we, were, we stopped at one rest area and the car kind of like, like it stumbled and I'm like, ooh, ooh. And then an engine light came on and I'm like, oh great. My wife was driving, she shut, shut the car, turned back on, the engine light went away. It's like, oh, okay, we'll keep going. Of course, as the guy that's usually fixes cars and stuff, I'm like, oh great, something's going on. Anyways, we got to Shelby, Montana, we're on our way out to we were going to stop in Kalispell, but then we we're going to go out towards Washington to visit our kids. And uh, that morning, the car barely would run. And I'm like, great. So we, we, we went to an a, a auto shop, and I got their little tester thing and tested the code. And it's like it's a fuel pump thing. I'm like, great, okay. And then the car started running, so let's, we're like three hours from Kalispell. Let's drive. So we drove to Kalispell. And... Uh, we stopped partway there and called. I called a shop there and that were specialized. We had a Mini Cooper, so I called a car place that works on foreign cars and set up an appointment so when we get there. So we got there and um, anyways, it turned out to be a fuel pump, but they had to order it. So we're like, okay, and we were right at my, at Teresa's foster parents' house. So we're staying at his house, him and his wife. Uh, and that was one of our stops anyway. So God blessed us. You know, it's like, you know, we could have been stuck on a reservation somewhere out in the middle of nowhere where the guy goes, I've never seen one of these cars before. <laughs> you know, or, you know it, it could have been a lot worse. And, you know, at the time, I'm not like, oh, overjoyed. Oh, praise God, I get to spend lots of money on my car. Um, but God is so gracious that he allowed it to happen at a place where we could stay. That they, they were thrilled that we were staying longer. We were going to stay one night and leave. They're like, no, we're glad you're here. And then my daughter was in Idaho at the time, and she came with her kids and her husband, and they, they hung out at the house too, so we got to see them anyways. So God is gracious. Anyways, Hananiah, the Lord is gracious, but his name was changed to Shadrach, and it really means I'm fearful of God. Man, what a change. Mishael, who is what God is. I, I, I don't know if it's the right way to look at it, but it's like, who is like God? Who is like our God? You know, I think, didn't we sing that this morning? Anyways, who is like our God? His name was changed to Meshach, who is like Aku. 
And I was trying to figure out who is a ku. Um, it can also be translated, I am of little account. And, uh, you know, you can go to different dictionaries and get different translation or different what these names mean. So but I'll, I'll address that in a minute. Finally, Azariah, Jehovah has helped. And his name was changed to Abednego, the servant of Nego, which was another Babylonian god. All of these guys have L in their names. Their focus is on God. You know, God's my judge. God is gracious. God is this. And now it's changed to something else. And so it's not a so subtle way to introduce, to introduce these young Hebrew men to polytheism and to forget about the exclusivity of the God of Israel. It's okay that they worship the God of Israel, but not exclusively. And so we're going to try to acclimate them. Now, <clears throat> I title this message, I've got to think of what I titled it, uh, Navigating Conviction. I'm sorry, Navigating Conviction. Daniel could have had a real conviction about his name. He could have protested his name change. He could have said, forget it, you know, this is my name and you, you can't call me anything else. I'm not, la, 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 I don't hear you. You know, he could have, he could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't. And I think what the Babylonians called him mattered really little to what Daniel knew who he was. Daniel knew who he was. He knew what he believed. Who cares what they call me? You know, his name change didn't change his character. Probably, and I'm guessing, Daniel probably thought about Joseph. Joseph was, a, a, you know, was brought into Egypt and Potiphar, uh, Pharaoh changed his name to an Egyptian name, but that didn't change who Joseph was. It didn't change his identity. For you and I, man, the world gives you and I labels. They want to change our name of who we are, but that shouldn't matter a whole lot to you or I. Look at 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Isn't that amazing? You and I are called the children of God, not a cult. <laughs> We're called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is, when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. It doesn't matter what people call you or what their opinions are of you. I know I'm a child of the Lord. I know I'm here. I've been bought and purchased by the blood of the lamb. I know who I belong to. I know my, so it doesn't matter. You can call me anything you want. Daniel didn't protest his name change. He also didn't protest his deportation. Not like he really had a choice, right? But he didn't, he didn't you know, uh, try to resist or fight the Babylonians. Daniel knew that their deportation to Babylon was God's doing because of the sin of, of Judah. And he even mentions it in Daniel chapter 9, verse 7. We're here in Babylon because of our sin. So Daniel knew that. Let me ask you this, just rhetorically. Do we know why our nation is falling? Do we know why we have the people in leadership that we have? Oh, yeah, they stole the election. Yeah, it's very well possible. Sorry, it's on Facebook. That's probably this. Anyways, yeah, could very well be. I don't, I don't. But is that just the reason? Some people were sinister enough to steal it? No. I don't think so anyways. Why is our nation fall or falling? 
Well, you say, well, yeah, you look at the book of Revelation, like you ladies will, the Bible study. Um, it was prophesied. You know, you don't see United States in, in last days prophecy. So, yeah, that's true. But the bottom line is sin. The bottom line is sin. And we say, yeah, that's absolutely right. Those people, the sin of those people, that's what's caused our nation to fall. Interesting, Second Chronicles 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, so often I, I get on the news, I read about the, the, the other side and what they're doing, and I, you get so upset with those wicked people and everything. But what allowed us to get to this point? I have to confess my own, you know, lack of, of zeal for the Lord. Our own complacency, our own compromise. Isaiah, if you read the book of Isaiah, the beginning of his, of his book, man, he's proclaiming woe on everybody else. And I love proclaiming woe on other people. You know, woe is the Democrats. No, I'm just kidding. Woe is this or that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Woe are those people, whoever they are. You can fill in the blank. Um, and, and Daniel was doing that until he sees the Lord. You know what he says in Daniel chapter 6? Woe is me. Man, I'm of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. So do we know why our nation is falling? I think it's because we're, we're part of the problem, the church. Not only the church, but us as individual Christians. Let me ask you this rhetorically. How many of us are hungering and thirsting for righteousness? You know, hunger and thirst. When I'm traveling, man, I'm hungering and thirsting. I was like, where's the next place to get something to eat? Or what's in the car? You know, I'm starving. I'm going to die. You know, that's the hungering and thirsting. Man, I got to get a drink. Are you and I hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness? How many of us are seeking his kingdom? My wife laughs at me because every time we go to a gas station or we go somewhere, it's like, Whenever we get to the car, I'm seeking my keys because I never put it in the same place and I'm always forgetting. So she's just standing there waiting for me to unlock. And I'm like, I think it's here, it's here, you know, let's check in here. And then, oh, there it is, you know, and, and she's like rolling her eyes and stuff. And, and I'm spending about five minutes at every place we stop to seek my keys. And you know what that's like when you're seeking something? It's like that's your focus. Can't, you know, I, that's all I can think about is that thing I'm seeking. How many of us are seeking his kingdom and his righteousness? Well, let's move on here. Verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Again, this blows my mind when I think about the fact that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, and he's about 12 to 15 years old. Because I can think of when I was 12 to 15 years old, you know, it's like, <clears throat> I wasn't a Daniel. <laughs> I, can just, I can just tell you that. <clears throat> so it says that he purposed in his heart. What does that mean, to purpose in his heart? The primary meaning of the verb is to put to set, or to place. And the context here is to place or to set a boundary in your heart. 
I'm gonna, this is a line in the sand. I'm, I'm not going to cross over this line. It also is to plan ahead. And I think that's a key, that's another key point of, of the purposing. It doesn't mean that you'll be immune to temptations. If you set this boundary, I'm not going to cross this boundary. You, in fact, you probably will be tempted more than likely, more in, intensely about that. But if you or I only react to temptations when they come instead of planning ahead and saying, you know, I'm not going to even put myself in a position where I'm going to be tempted in that area. I'm going I'm to stay clear of that line. If we plan ahead, if we purpose in our heart, it, I'm not saying you won't fall, but it's less likely. If you don't plan ahead, if you don't set a boundary, man, those temptations, they come and they just, if they get you in a weak moment, that's it. You know, you're, you're done. There are some examples in the Bible of people who set, set boundaries or planned ahead. Job 31, verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? I'm not going to look at those things. And, you know, I used to always say, well, this is for disguise. But, you know, I'm hearing more and more that it, women have the same problem, too. It's not just a guy thing. It's, a, it's, it's men and women. We have a problem, and we're with such a sex-saturated culture that it doesn't take long to look and find something. So we need to put boundaries, what we're going to be looking at, what we're going to allow ourselves to view. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Here's another one. Psalm 119, 106, I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow whatever you say, Lord. And not only setting boundaries, these, are, these two are referring to setting boundaries regarding sin, but also planning. I remember I said planning ahead or uh, putting a plan in place. This one, this one. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Why? To be crucified. Man, there was nothing that, that, that was his plan. That was his, he planned ahead. I'm going to Jerusalem. He knew he was going to be crucified. Here's another one. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Hey, I'm going to plan to give a portion of my income to the Lord. I'm going to plan. I'm just going to set it aside. We call that tithing. That's, that's, that's planning ahead. That's putting, I'm going to put this in place in my life. Well, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. And I got I to gotta just say something, because, you know, I pull these pictures off the internet, and uh, sometimes I go, what are these artists thinking? Because um, to me, they do look like typical teenagers, like, you know, you ain't going to tell me what to do. But I don't think that's necessarily. So don't look at the picture and go, that must be what he means. No, I just, it was close enough anyways. Um, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Now, one thing I want to bring out, this is not just Levitical dietary laws, because he's going to request a diet of vegetables and water. That goes way beyond the Levitical requirements. God didn't say you can only eat vegetables and drink water. He never said that. So this is going beyond uh, Levitical law. It says, nor, with, uh, nor the wine, he was not going to defile himself with the uh, portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine that he drank, which is interesting 
Because you remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah was a wine taster for the king. A wine taster. Yet yeah, you say, no, he was a butler. You know, a wine cupbearer. Well, what a cupbearer was, was they were the guys to drink the wine to make sure that the king wasn't getting poisoned. So, you know, okay, uh, you're, you're good to go. So he was a wine taster for the king. Interestingly also, there's no mention of continuing this restriction that we're going to look at later on throughout Babylonian captivity or after in Persia. It was just for this time in this season at this point. So why choosing the diet as a place of not compromising and not the name change? Why, why, why is, okay, why is this your conviction and not that your conviction? Well, for one thing, I don't think he had any choice with the name change. We're going to call you this. What do you do? They're your captors. Um, and again, it doesn't impact who he is. He knows who he is, so you can call me whatever you want. I don't care. The diet? Well, there's one possibility. Again, this goes beyond dietary, you know, Levitical dietary restrictions. One possibility is that we know that the Babylonians, they would offer their food to idols before they ate it. They would sacrifice a portion of it. So there's this idolatry, at a tie, a, a, you know, tied to these, these foods, these meals. That's one possibility. We're not really told why, exactly why. So that's why I'm saying it's a possibility. Another possibility. Remember when Jesus taught his disciples to pray? And one of the things is, give us this day our daily bread. You know, Lord, supply my daily needs. And, it's a, and the purpose is not for us to just say that by rote, but for us to focus our attention on the Lord. Lord, you're the one who supplies everything. I, I look to you for providing my needs. It's a reliance on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a reliance on God. And so this food was, hey, it's the king's table. It's the king's providing this food for you. So there could be this attachment with, hey, the king is the source of your daily supply, man. Everything, all good things flow from the king. And maybe that's why Daniel says, no, I don't want, I don't want to get into that mindset because everything I have comes from God, from Jehovah. Again, we don't know Okay, so we know Daniel has a conviction. We just read about it. There's a line, there's a boundary that he will not, that he has set and he's not going to cross it. And you and I might have a boundary that it's like, okay, this is, a, this is the line in the sand. I don't want to cross this. Well, how did Daniel navigate his conviction? How does he navigate this? Notice that he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I think that's interesting. He didn't go on a hunger strike. He didn't go, that's it. You know, I'm not eating. I'm protesting. He didn't do that. He requested. He, he actually made a request of the king. Now, it's interesting. Uh, verse 9, let me just read this to you. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Just like Joseph just like Nehemiah, just like Ezra, different men that went before him, or after him, I guess, Nehemiah and Ezra. Proverbs 16, verse 7, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So, it's interesting. I find Daniel's not combative. He's not out there protesting. He's not out there, like, going on a hunger strike. He's making this request, but God went before him, 
and gave him favor with uh, this chief of the eunuchs. Verse 10, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. God gave Daniel favor with Ashpenaz. But listen, Daniel's conviction also impacted him. Because if Daniel was just, he's refusing to eat the, that food, he would, you know, naturally, without supernatural intervention, he would have looked weak. He would have looked less than the other guys that were eating all the good food that looked like they're putting on some weight, you know, they're, maybe they're working out or whatever. They're, they're, they're looking healthy. And so what would have happened was Ashpenaz, the king would have said, hey, I gave you this job to fatten up these guys, make them look good and healthy, and you failed. He says, man, if, if, if you stand in your conviction, I could, it could cost me my life. There's a, real, there's a real situation. It could literally result in death. I got this from David Guzik. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor. and He's got a commentary. He quotes Charles Spurgeon on this verse, and I, I think it's very applicable. I want to read it to you. It is of no use for a man to say, I have made up my mind about certain things, and to keep doggedly fighting over those matters, while at the same time the whole of his life is unkind, ungenerous, and unlovable. Yes, by all manner of means, be a martyr if you like, but do not martyr everybody else. And you know, I find that with people that have very strong convictions. It's so easy for me to say, you know, my, these are my convictions, and you better follow my convictions. You better believe what I believe. We are seeing that in spades in the body of Christ right now when it comes to face masks, vaccinations, who you voted for, all these things, you know. We have these convictions, and they might be right or wrong convictions, but maybe they're right. But what the problem is, is when we foist them on somebody else and say, my conviction needs to be your conviction. We have to be so careful about that as believers because we can end up becoming unloving. We can end up becoming to the point where we don't have open hearts for people because they're not doing what we think that they should be doing. Man, we, we need to have compassion. You know, that's one of the signs of a church. They'll know you by your love. And the Bible says in the last days, the love of many are going to grow cold. And I don't think the church is immune to it. We have to be so careful. Man, we are seeing that in spades right now. Well, Daniel didn't dig in his heels with little regard to the life of Ashpenaz. He cared about this man, this godless man that was his captor. So he comes up with a plan. And it wasn't just like, hmm, I got an idea. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men whom eat, who eat the portion of the king's delicacies as you see fit. So deal with your servants. That's kind of a risky thing to do. Because what if Ashpenaz said no? Now what's Daniel going to do? But we'll never know because God gave him favor and he said, yeah. I don't think Daniel just came up with, hey, I've got a great idea. Daniel, I believe, sought the Lord. 
And the Lord gave Daniel, again, a young man between 12 to 15 years old, wisdom to come up with a plan that was acceptable to his captors. Daniel here put his faith in the Lord, and then he just trusted the Lord with the outcome. And what if he said, no, hey, I'm, okay, the Lord will let me, Lord will show me how to navigate that. So what if the answer was no? We won't know, except, I think this is interesting. Again, I really firmly believe this was wisdom that God gave Daniel. And God's wisdom is described by uh, James in James 3.17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Wisdom, willing to yield. Daniel's situation here is a situation of pleasing God and pleasing men. He wanted to honor God, but he also was honoring this guy, Ashpenaz. He was pleasing Ashpenaz while he was pleasing God. Now, and he cared about Ashpenaz. Later on, and we're going to see this in Daniel's character, because later on, He's put in charge of the magicians in, in Babylon, and there's an order that they're going to get killed. And, and Daniel actually steps in the gap for him and says, don't kill these guys. He cares about these people. Interesting. We see so much into the character of Daniel. So this is a situation of pleasing God and pleasing man. But later on in chapter 6, he's going to choose pleasing God over pleasing man. So... God is the one that gives you and I the wisdom when to make that choice. When should we be compliant and please men while we're pleasing God? You know, we can't compromise and not please God. But when is our situation when God, when I want to honor you, God, but I also want to honor this? That's where we need God's wisdom. That's where we need God's wisdom. And God will give us the wisdom to make those choices. Verse 14 so he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of, t- end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Verse 17, as for these young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So all these four young men, they were given knowledge, skill, and wisdom, but Daniel was given this unique other gift, and that was the, the, the ability to understand and interpret dreams. Verse 18, Now at the end of the ten days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. <coughs> Excuse me. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. We're going to stop there, but I want to look at a few applications before we finish this uh, this morning, and I think there's five points, five lessons that we can learn <clears throat> or that we can apply. The first one applies, I would say, exclusively to a certain group of people here, and that's parents. Because you think about it, 
where did Daniel get this conviction from? Do you think he just as a 12-year-old, I get this conviction, I'm not going to... No. He understood God's word. It was implanted in him. It had to have been by his parents. Parents, the first application, teach your children, because your children aren't going to develop, there's less likely to, to develop godliness on their own. In fact, their bent is typically, like all of us, to go, against, you know, to go with the flesh. And so we need to discipline, we need to correct, we need to guide and instruct our, te our children. Teach them God's word and teach them your values based on God's word. Because, you know, you can have a conviction and say, well, this is my conviction. And they'll say, well, why? And if you don't have a reason why, you know, why is that your conviction? Hopefully it's based on God's word. Hopefully you yourself are in God's word and you have a conviction. And so you want to teach them why you hold the convictions you do. And then it's not only teach them, but set the example for them. You know, we're not, never mentioned, told who their parents were. But I got a feeling there's a reward for them in heaven because of how they raise their children. And there's a reward for you as parents. And it's not always easy, but there's a reward for you as you teach your children in the way that they should go. And then you set the example for them. This is so important, especially in our culture now more than ever. You know, our kids are getting bombarded with stuff in the public sector. They're getting bombarded by stuff. And so it's so important to do this in the home. So that's the first application for the parents. The second one is for all of us. And that is, do your best for God before men. Do your best for God before men. Proverbs 22, verse 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings he will not stand before unknown men. You and I as believers, if you're, a, if you're a, a carpet layer, a plumber, a janitor, you should be the best carpet layer, plumber, or janitor, the best teacher, the best whatever it is in your field and in your job company. Why? Because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And you've got, you've got values. You, you live, you're honest, and you... you you're serving the Lord. You're not even serving those around you. You're serving the Lord. We see that in examples in Genesis with the life of Joseph. Joseph was so faithful. Everywhere he went, he was faithful. Even as a prisoner, he was faithful. The people would put him in charge of things. They would just like, I trust Joseph, man. Man, do, do your coworkers or bosses trust you as believers? Do your best before God. Uh, do your best for God before men. Ver, uh, Acts 7.22, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. He did his best within the Egyptian culture. Luke 2, verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and statute, uh, stature excuse me, and in favor with God and men. I remember my, one of my jobs that I went to to start in this new, new area, and I didn't know anybody, and they said, oh, that guy's a Christian over there, but man, he is always in the break room sharing Christ with people. He's never out there working. Man, <laughs> don't let that be, your, be your, your reputation. So, second point, do your best for God before men, and I think that's what we see with Daniel and his, his friends. The third thing Wisdom comes from God. You can read all the stuff you want on the internet. You can get all, you get all the research you want, researching all these things. 
you're not going to get the wisdom. You might get knowledge, but wisdom comes from God. How do we get wisdom? James 1 verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Proverbs 2 6, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Are you facing something where you need to, you need, I mean, Lord, I need, I need wisdom. Do your research. I'm not saying don't. But go to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from God, but it comes through obedience. It comes through obedience. Psalm 110, or excuse me, 111 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. Proverbs 2 verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. God will give you wisdom, but you got to obey his word. You got to follow what he gives you and do what he says comes through obedience. The fourth thing, obedience today impacts obedience tomorrow. You know, this may be seem like uh, this, you know, if Daniel had compromised in this small area, you know, was it a sin? I don't know. The Bible doesn't present it that way, but what if he had compromised and just went along with everybody else? Well, if he had, he wouldn't have stood out among everybody else like he did because of that small conviction. And if he was willing to compromise in that small area, what would he do when there was a bigger conviction or bigger challenge to his faith? Elizabeth Elliot is reported to have said this, does it make sense to pray for guidance about the future if we are not obeying in the thing that lies before us today? We, we need to obey what God gives you today. I think about Abraham. I was, I'm going back through, starting my trek through the Bible again. I'm in, well, I'm in Exodus now, but I was in Genesis and, and uh, reading about Abraham. And Abraham, you know, when the Lord God tells, you, tells him, he, he finally, after all these years of waiting for a son, God gives him a son, Isaac. And then God says, go sacrifice him. Go offer him up on a mountain. I'll I'm not going to tell you where, but just go, and I'll show you where and sacrifice him to me. You know what Abraham did? Well, he protested first. He prayed, put a fleece. No, he didn't do any of that. The next morning, he got up early in the morning and head out. He obeyed. He didn't know. He just like, okay, Lord's told me I'm just going to obey. Obedience today impacts tomorrow. Listen, what Abraham did, man, God recognized that, that faith that he had and rewarded it. God's not going to guide you to point C you're at point A, he's not going to guide you to point C if you don't go to point B first, wherever he's guiding you. He's not going to skip you like, okay, Lord, I don't want to do that. Okay, fine, let's have you go here. God won't do that. He leads us step by step, day by day. And so we need to follow him step by step. Obedience today is going to impact your obedience tomorrow. Small choices have big impacts on our lives. Verse 21 says, Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Cyrus, so that was, that's the Medes and the Persians. He continued throughout the Babylonian Empire into the reign of the next empire, the Medes and the Persians. 
And I think it was because of his convictions that he stood on. Daniel's small decision, what did it do? It impacted Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs, spared his life for one thing, but it probably had an impact on him as far as worshiping God. Later on, it's going to impact the lives of the magicians. I mentioned that earlier. He stood in the gap for them. He ended up with a very good reputation. It even impacted Christmas plays that we have today. You go, oh, what is this guy talking about? I'll give you a hint. The wise men from the east, they are connected to Daniel. And we'll, we'll get to that later at some point. I'd love to share that with you. But it impacted even Christmas plays that we do today. It even influenced the faith of Nebuchadnezzar himself, the ruler of the Babylonian Empire. Daniel's small choice here, it's going to impact the faith of a ruler of the Babylonian Empire. It also influenced the ruler of the next empire, Cyrus, to give the command to rebuild the temple. How did Cyrus even get that notion? I think Daniel showed him, hey, there's a prophecy about you by name, by the way. Hundreds of years before you were even born, it says you're going to do this. I think it had profoundly impacted Cyrus, and I think it came from Daniel. It also gave Daniel, it caused him to be given visions of the future that we are just now starting to see the fruition of in our day and our age. It's all because I believe it all goes back to that one little decision that Daniel made. I'm not going to defile myself with the king's delicacies, delicacies nor with the wine that he drinks. That's a conviction. So I'm going to end with this. What decisions are you facing today? Because I can tell you right now, all of us in one way or another are being impacted with what's going on in our culture. And we have to make a decision. What are, what are we going to stand on? What's our conviction? But, the, but with that, how do you navigate that conviction? Do I, is, does my conviction become your conviction? Do I foist it on everybody else? No, I don't think so. Do I maintain a loving atmosphere, a loving attitude towards others that may not share my same conviction? Yeah. What if, is it one size fits all? Because there are people right now, I was, we were visiting with someone and they were telling us that one size fits all about you know, the choices that people are being made to, to choose right now. One size fits, no, I don't think one size fits all. So how do you know the difference? That's, and how do you know when to comply with government or when, when to stand up for your conviction? That comes from God. That the wisdom comes from God. And so if you're facing a decision today, and I'm sure a lot of us are, especially with our jobs and those that have side careers, you're faced right now with a decision. Maybe you've already made your decision, but some of us are still facing it. How do you navigate that? And I, I pray that you're encouraged this morning and that you seek the Lord because he'll give you that wisdom to do whatever you need to do. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we'll have the worship team come on up.